Good morning, good day, or good evening. My name is Eli Rowe, and this is the Middle-Aged Witch Podcast. Hello, and how are you? How is your full moon in Gemini? I always feel like Gemini has such a playfulness. It's very roguish, you know, it's light, it's flirty, and I appreciate it. I welcome it. That's the vibe I need right now. There's always so much heaviness around the full moon energetically. You know, it can be really overwhelming, um, very somber, but Gemini provides a really good balance to all that seriousness. And it was the last full moon of the year 2022. And the next time we see the full moon, it'll be 2023. That's amazing. God, I get so existential this time of year. And I have been fighting a nasty flu. You can probably still hear it in my voice. I am feeling a lot better, um, but I am also a bit behind on answering messages right now. I do apologize, and I will get back on track over this weekend, but I just wanted to thank you for your patience if you've written. I don't always answer everyone right away. I do try to, and sometimes I do, um, but... You know, a lot of the time I need to think about a situation for a day or so before I respond. I can't always work off the cuff. Um, But this last week I've really fallen behind and I do acknowledge that. But before we get into the topic of the day, um, I actually want to address two things that I totally neglected to include in last week's episode about casting magic circles. I had these two bullet points in my notes, um, but I got myself out of order as I do, and then I never did get back around to addressing them. Um, and I do thank the folks who wrote to me about it because um, these are these are important points that I did want to include. So one of the points that I neglected was what do you do if you absolutely must leave your circle for a moment once you've cast it? Um, well, first of all, you know, just do try to avoid that if you can, not just for the sake of the integrity of your circle, but because it does break up the flow of the work a little bit. Um, you know, when we are raising energy and we're working in that space, we just prefer not to interrupt it if we can help it, but we don't have to be super rigid and inflexible about it. Sometimes you've got to leave your circle. So if we are interrupted, if we absolutely must step out of the circle once it's created, um, well, you can do what a a witch called Raven wrote to me uh, when she said, hey, you know, you should have mentioned this. We can cut a door in the circle. And you can do this with your finger. You can use your wand or your athame if you use those. um, And then close the door behind you. This is fine. This can definitely absolutely work in a pinch. But again, you know, just try to remember to bring everything with you and try to do your work at a time when you're least likely to be disturbed. But that's not always possible. So there is that contingency plan available. And then the other question that I got that I should have said, I should have talked about last week was what to do with the uh, the items that you used to create the circle. Now, if you only use your own energy to create your circle, then obviously this does not apply. We just dismiss that energy when we're done. But if we've used crystals or stones or salt or leaves or whatever, herbs, uh, then you'll need to clean up the physical remnants, the physical detritus. And the question was, what do we do with that? 
Well, if you've used, you know, leaves, herbs, flowers, etc., you can just sweep them up and toss them out into your garden. Just return all of them to nature. They're still going to be charged with protective energy, and that's nice. Um, now, if you've used like stones or seashells, any natural, more permanent element like that, um, you know, pine cones, you could hold on to them and reuse them. Um, and crystals are obviously something that you're going to keep and use again, I should hope. I don't have throwing crystal away money. Um, but if you've used salt, don't throw it out in the garden because it's going to kill whatever it touches. But you can sweep it up and hold on to it to reuse in other work. I will admit I don't hold on to salt when I've used it to create a circle because whatever I sweep up is going to be about 50% dog hair. But you know, your lifestyle may differ. <laughs> um, and again, whatever you used is still going to be holding on to that, that energy. It's still going to be charged with that protective, protective energy. And I think that was the main point of the folks who are asking this question. We don't like to waste that energy if we can avoid it. So thank you again for writing to me. This is a collaborative effort. And today we are going to talk about hedge witchery. And this is a topic, um, it was suggested by a witch named Dawn, who is a hedge witch. Uh, she thought that it would be helpful to expand on the concept, and I wholeheartedly agree. I actually suspect a lot of us could fall under the hedge witch banner. You know, obviously these labels are not hard and fast. These are not scientific classifications. There is a lot of overlap, especially hedge witchery, which is a very large umbrella. And under this umbrella, we might find a lot of aspects of green witchcraft and kitchen witchcraft, um, especially and folk magic. Um, but there are a lot of significant differences too. Um, and we're going to talk today about what makes hedge witchery unique. Now, I'm not a huge fan of labeling myself or putting myself in any kind of box, and I think probably most of us aren't, but it does help when we're trying to learn more about our own practices and uh, we're trying to expand our knowledge base and our understanding of modern witchcraft and its historical roots, it's helpful to know what those descriptors mean and how they relate to what we do. So while there are not clear absolute distinctions between all of these, and there is so much crossover, we're going to look into what hedge witchery is, what it means to be a hedge witch, and how we can fold some of these practices into our own. We need to know what all of these things mean so that we can decide whether this is a path that we want to pursue, or if we just want to pick and choose what elements of this that we want to keep, and we can leave the rest behind. So to begin with, let's start by endeavoring to define the term hedge witch, and we can at least look into the history of this terminology. Now, traditionally, the hedge witch was a solitary practitioner. She lived on the fringes, or he, ooh, excuse me, look at me getting sexist. The hedge witch lived on the fringes of his or her community. This person would have lived beyond the hedgerow on the outskirts, both literally and figuratively. For those old traditional communities, the hedgerow marked the end of civilized life. Whatever lay beyond the hedgerow 
was other. It was wild. It was unknown. It wasn't one of us. The hedgerow itself was a portal of sorts. Those who lived on the other side of it were the cunning folk. These were the people that the villagers would seek for help if their horse was lame or if the baby had a fever or if the crops were struggling or if they thought they'd been hexed. This was a person who would be consulted for all kinds of everyday practical issues from, you know, drought to an unwanted pregnancy. And when the need arose, they would also function as midwives. But regardless of the need, the hedge witch would either use magical or practical solutions to solve people's problems. Sometimes they would use both. A traditional hedge witch may have received their education from an ancestor or they may have been an apprentice. Either way, the point is this knowledge would have been passed down. And this is no longer the case for most of us. And this is where today's modern hedge witch begins to diverge from tradition. You know, my mother was not a hedge witch, nor was my grandmother. In fact, my grand would probably die from the shame of it if anyone ever accused her of witchcraft. Although it must be said, for the truly devout Christian woman she is, if you ever find yourself playing Midnight Canasta with her and you start winning, you will probably see her discreetly draw a little X on the table with her fingertip to break your streak. So yes, even this saintly Christian woman will still lay a little jinx on you. But I digress. You know, that's what it means, that's what it used to mean to be a hedge witch. A hedge witch today is still usually a solitary practitioner whose main area of focus and expertise is still herbalism and shamanism and divination. Um, and by and large, these witches are still healers, both physically and spiritually. There are a lot of variations and exceptions, but a hedge witch usually isn't overly concerned with any religious aspect of their craft, and they're not typically found engaging in very uh, elaborate rituals, at least not with any kind of frequency beyond like maybe the major witches' sabbats. This is generally speaking a very straightforward, no-frills kind of practice. These practitioners may spend time foraging for what they need to work their magic, These folks are also likely to have spent a lot of time and effort learning about the local plant life in their area, learning how to use it, learning what its magical and medicinal applications are. Wildcrafting is a huge part of what a hedge witch does. Foraging and harvesting plants that are native to his or her given area, and even non-native plants that have been introduced to an area but Uh, that now grow uh, and thrive and are wild there. Back when we did the foraging episode, which was, damn, was that last winter? I feel like, I think that was last one. I think that was in January, actually. We did talk about a lot of the ways uh, to use the things that we can easily find and harvest in our own local areas within our craft. And while that episode wasn't necessarily about hedge witchery, a lot of that kind of information does apply here. Um, I should mention, incidentally, you can either listen to that episode or you can get a written transcript of that on the website, middleagedwitch.com. But anyway, the information, as I said, is easily applicable here, including, um, and perhaps especially, what I had to say about writing things down, 
taking notes, keeping detailed records as a witch, especially as a hedge witch, is going to be really important. Because as we said, a, a hedge witch's education is meant to come from the witches who came before us. But if we are the ones blazing this trail, it's our responsibility to pass that knowledge forward to the witches who will come after us. So we've got to take notes. Hedge witchery is also about finding ways to impart magic into our everyday lives. When we talked about broom magic a couple weeks back, that was hedge witchcraft. When we talk about using tea ritually and medicinally, we are using hedge witchcraft. When we incorporate intentional herbs into our cooking, we are definitely using hedge witchery. It also means spending time learning how the natural cycles of nature and the seasons and the moon can either help or hinder the work that we do. It means understanding the best time to work a certain spell. It means also recognizing signs and omens. It means using divination to understand the nuances of a situation. Divination means something a little different for everybody. Maybe for you it means reading tea leaves. Maybe it means tarot. Maybe these intuitive messages come to you in dreams. However you find these messages, the point is that you do receive them. All of that is what it means to be a hedge witch. It means you're the cool loner witch. You see things and you know things. People seek you out when they need your help. And this is an honor and it's a responsibility. So if this is a path that you feel you're being drawn to, I do have some suggestions as to where to begin. First and foremost, start learning what you can about herbalism. There are some really great books to get you on your way. One of my favorites is called um, Healing Herbs by Tina Sams. I also really love Rosemary Gladstar's Herbal Recipes for Vibrant Health. Either of these is a fantastic foundation for learning the basics. And what's cool about both of these books is that they're filled with methods and recipes that you can use to create your own tinctures, infusions, balms, salves, teas, um, and so much more. There is one other book that I personally think is absolutely crucial for every hedge witch to have in their library, and that is a journal. I'm sorry to beat this drum again, but it's so important to write things down and keep a record. It doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't even have to be all that well organized. You just have to use it. Someone has to keep a record of the work that you do. And I'm sorry, witches, but that someone is you. And this is an excellent New Year's resolution, by the way, to keep a journal of all of the work that we do because we do a lot more work than we realize and it encourages us to perform even more magic at least it and it encourages me and i have a really easy first entry for a journal it is hedge witchery and it's magical and it's also practical i'm going to give you a recipe for a chamomile balm and its medicinal use is, of course, to treat dry, irritated skin, but it's also used magically to attract money. Now that the harsh winter weather is chapping our skin and the Christmas shopping is draining our wallets, I thought it would be a very simple and practical hedge witch solution for a very common problem. So, first of all, we need to make an infusion of chamomile with either coconut oil or almond oil, something that's going to be very soothing for your skin. 
So get some chamomile tea bags and cut three or four of them open. Empty them into a small saucepan and add three ounces of coconut oil or almond oil. Just let it heat through for 20 or 30 minutes on low heat um, and then strain out the herbs. And then to that, you're going to add about half an ounce of beeswax and stir it all together until it's completely blended. And then just pour it in a little jar and let it cool. And if you want to adjust the amount of wax, you can add a little more if you want your balm a little bit stiffer, or you can adjust the wax down if you prefer a softer balm. And if you want to scale the recipe up and make more, that's perfectly fine. This makes an excellent gift. And this is one of those kinds of projects that starts to get the wheels turning. We can consider what other kinds of herbs we can use in this kind of a balm. An enterprising witch might make a healing balm with like mint and eucalyptus, which is going to help soothe those head colds and also um, offer some spiritual protection. Uh, also a balm made with like rose and lavender is going to help a little one to sleep better. And it's also going to impart uh, peace and feelings of love and comfort. This is what I'm talking about. This is what it means. If you're a crafty kind of a person, if you're a maker, then you're at least a little bit of a hedge witch already. We've already talked about how easy it is to impart magic into the foods that we make, but there are so many other considerations. If you are a soap maker, you can consider how the oils and botanicals that you use can combine with magical intent. If you're a knitter, you can consider color correspondences in the items that you knit. If you're, if you're into mixology, you can create all kinds of magical spirits for all kinds of magical needs. This is the essence of hedge witchcraft. It is the place where practical needs meet magical solutions, and it is immensely powerful work. So I hope your wheels are turning. I hope you're thinking of all those practical and magical intersections and how we can create magic in the mundane. This is our power, and it is a hell of a thing. Thank you so much for joining me today. You can find me at middleagedwitch.com or on social media at, at middleagedwitch, or you can write to me anytime at eli at middleagedwitch.com. My name is Eli Rowe, and this has been the Middle-Aged Witch Podcast. The content of this podcast is not a substitute for direct, personal, professional, mental, or medical health care and diagnosis. The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast are for general information only.